Today, I wanted to let you know about an upcoming free masterclass to heal anxiety. Now, this is especially for those of you who have tried many other programs or interventions and you feel like there's just something missing, like these treatments or therapies just keep missing the mark. Or for those of you who've been told that you just need to manage your anxiety and you know that this is utter BS because no one wants to just manage with disruptive anxiety forever. So this masterclass is sharing inside secrets of what it means to truly heal anxiety by understanding the three parts of anxiety and how these are causing problems. The link is in the show notes to register for free. See you there. Welcome back to the Ease Anxiety Podcast. Today I have the pleasure of sharing an awesome conversation that I had with a very inspiring individual. Darius Fennell has come through his own journey of anxiety from a pretty dark place to now becoming a mental health advocate on TikTok. He is going to share with you everything that he's been through and everything that he did to come out the other end. Not only are you going to hear about his inspiring book, Leaving Jupiter, but also of the three C's that he put into practice to overcome his anxiety. While I have you here, don't forget to sign up for the three-part masterclass coming up next week. It's entirely free and I'm going to spend three lessons with you showing you the keys to mastering anxiety so that you too can stop anxiety interrupting your life and reclaim your life for good. The link to sign up for that is in the show notes, as are all the details to connect with Darius, because I know you're going to want to after you've heard this episode. Have you ever wondered why anxiety just won't budge? Like, what is it doing here anyway? Welcome to the Ease Anxiety Podcast. I'm Deanta Fuchs, a psychologist turned international anxiety coach, and I'm on a mission to share a new perspective on anxiety that puts you firmly back in control of your life so that anxiety no longer interrupts you. So grab your cuppa, get comfy, and listen in as we demystify, destigmatize, and deconstruct what you think you know about anxiety so that you can finally do what you have struggled with for so long. Ease anxiety for good. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Well, hi. Yeah. Hi, Darius. Thank you for being here with me today. It's really awesome to have you. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure and honor to be here with you. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just dive in. And can you just tell me a little bit about you and the struggle that you've had with anxiety? Where would you like to start with that? Yes. So my name is Darius Finnell, and I am a published author and mental health and therapy advocate. Yeah. Um, and all that came from my life, my lifelong journey with anxiety, which I've had all of my life, uh, mostly undiagnosed um, until about uh, coming up on six years now, um, where um, one particular day I had a work assignment that I had a few weeks to get done. And I decided, you know, to do it in a few hours, take a nap. And I woke up right until the middle of a panic attack. And because anxiety was so familiar with me, I'm thinking this can't be like a new level of anxiety that I've unlocked. Like immediately, I, I focused on my heart. Yeah. And told my wife, I said, "Listen, you got to take me to the hospital. I think I think I'm dying. I think something's happening to me. Um, you know, let them hook up all the stuff and take all the blood samples or whatever else, and then just kind of help me to um, figure out what needs to be fixed because this, after all, can't be anxiety, right?" 
So the first couple of tests they ran, like, ah, you know, we think you're okay. Everything came back. Now we're going to send you home. And I'm like, listen, this is different. And I know this is different. Like my heart is over 140 beats per minute. I'm at rest. I haven't done anything. It was middle of winter. I haven't done anything in like months. So there's no reason for my heart to be pounding like this. You know, not just being fast, but pounding in like the world's craziest adrenaline rush. Um, derealization, which I didn't know what that was at the time, but I feel like I was in a dream world. Um, tightness in my chest, as well as tightness in my throat. And I feel like I couldn't breathe out of my, my nose. It, it was just a combination of things that I had not ever encountered before that made me say, this has got to be some other issue that if they don't fix this, I'm probably not going to be here. So that was kind of where that all started. And fast forward through a week of additional tests, didn't find anything. And the very last day before they sent me home, they said, oh, you know what? We think you just had a panic attack. Just follow up with your primary care physician. I'm like, so you tell me, I was here for a whole week, and I'm leaving with the same symptoms that I came here with, and this is all you're telling me to do. And it was a very dark and lonely and helpless place because I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I can follow up, but what happens, you know, you usually don't get an appointment the next day, let alone the next week sometimes, depending on the time of the year that you're in. Yeah. So I've got to sit with this for a few days and I don't know what to do. And so that's where, fast forward to where I am today. If I were to try to help anybody in this world, it would be that person that came home from the hospital with no further instructions or hope or sense of confidence that things are going to get better. So that's kind of how things culminated for me and, you know, publishing a book. It was built out of empathy to say, I don't want anybody else to have to experience this. I mean, you can't stop it. I mean, but at least to have some type of plan and some type of hope, because if you don't have that, then I mean, you're, it's almost like why even carry on? So that's kind of where I came to to where I am today and why I'm so an advocate for therapy as well as um, just getting past the stigmas, you know, and not waiting for a crisis to happen to get help. Absolutely. Oh, wow. So so when you did get home from the hospital and you didn't have a doctor's appointment set up for you and you kind of felt like I'm now swimming in the deep end with no life raft here, what did you do? What, What did you do next? I tried, I tried to sleep it off. Like, okay, maybe I was just doing too much. And if I could just get some extra sleep, then this thing will just go away. It didn't go away. Wow. <laughs> so, like, some instances it got worse. Um, I did also have a bad reaction to some medication that they gave me that was that on paper, it made my numbers look correct, but I felt horrible. Okay. So then there's that other aspect of you're medicating one issue but the side effect is you know eating up your quality of life Mm -hmm. like well do I choose between high blood pressure and high blood rate or actually feeling like a normal person um, without those side effects but then it'll still kick in the other things that I don't want so I'm kind of like doing this like okay nothing is is working Mm -hmm. so I did end up following up with the primary care physician and we ran additional tests, everything from thyroid to uh, autoimmune to, I can't even remember all the tests that we did. Um, I remember when the insurance bill 
came, you know, or the help bill came, thank God for insurance. Um, I was like, wow, they ran so many things. In one instance, it kind of gave me like, okay, I had skipped a few years of having a checkup. So I'm like, at least I have a new baseline. Like I've yeah. got 30 baselines now, right? I can at least confidently say it's not these things that came back negative, right? But yeah. okay, if that's the case, then what do I do next? And now enter therapy. Right. And so I found myself um, learning how to sit with uncomfortable emotions and initially it was counterintuitive for me. I'm like, wait a minute, I, I don't mind bringing these things up because now I'm in a crisis mode and you, you could tell me to do a backflip and lick peanut butter off the curve. Like I, I'd do it just if that meant it would make these symptoms go away. <laughs> like I'm game for it. I have no more pride because I'm stuck. I'm waking up with anxiety on 10. I'm going to bed with anxiety on 10. I have an insomnia and nothing I'm doing so far is helping. So now that, you know, all these things are here and I'm stuck, these stigmas don't matter to me anymore. I don't care what you think because I just want my life back. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that was the first thing of learning how to pause and slow down and stop, which was probably one of the reasons why I encountered anxiety at this level because I wasn't stopping. And that was kind of my MO from years before was in order to get your sense of worth, you have to be productive. Mm. In order to not have to feel emotions or something like maybe traumatic that happened, it just produced a bunch of stuff. You know, my, my whole mentality was push the clutch in, find another gear and go for the hills. And for 40, well, 39 years, it worked until it didn't. And I always use the analogy of the check engine light on a car, right? You can drive around with the check engine light on for a good minute. I did it with my old Honda for, I think, two years I had that check engine light on. I knew what it was, but I didn't want to spend the money to get it fixed until it broke. And then yeah. I needed a new car. So some things can be fixed through maintenance and other things just like, no, you need a whole new vehicle now. And that's kind of what the whole new journey of therapy and learning about the nervous system and coming up with some type of action plan that would help me kind of navigate my way, not even back to where I was, because that was even something I struggled with. Like, oh, if I could get the old guy back, then I'd be, no, the old guy got you here. The old guy was built on, you know, survival and built on um, the external things, giving him a sense of worth and value, right? So those are like the core, like beliefs that you have to deal with in therapy. And this is why, like I, I'd say, you know, or advocate so much for therapy because you need someone who is licensed and professional to help you unpack all that stuff. As much as your friends love you, as much as uh, your your mother and father love you and want to try to help you, if they're not equipped and professionally trained for that, it's going to be very unlikely that they're going to help you come out from where you are. So, yeah. Those are yeah. Hard Gosh, you touched on some really, really big and core concepts here. So I guess where I want to start is asking, when you were having anxiety before. So as you said, you just choose a different gear and keep going. I mean, many people have anxiety for the longest time before the one incident that then sends them over the edge, right? In inverted commas. Um, But they won't, they don't look at that at the time and go, oh, wow, I'm dealing with anxiety or I'm stressed or they don't acknowledge that there's something else going on there, right? And so we know that a panic attack is really your anxiety just, getting your attention because you won't damn listen. So <laughs> what was happening for you before that panic attack and how were you 
I guess, perceiving or interpreting your anxiety? Was Did you see it as a problem? Did you just ignore it? What were you doing? This was just normal. I just, like I anything else I didn't know how to deal with, I just turned it into fuel. Okay, I'll throw it in, throw it in my little, you know, furnace, I'll burn it up and use that energy to do something productive. And to everybody else, like, oh, wow, look, he's so accomplished and he's able to do so much, but you don't realize what this is costing. I didn't realize it until the bill came due. Yeah. yeah. And my body was like, no, there's not going to be that resilience you knew in your 20s. That's gone. Now that we have your full attention, mm-hmm. here are the things we need you to deal with. And you only can deal with those things in therapy. So, yeah. Yeah. That was a very hard lesson, very hard, painful, but yeah. I've accepted it now because yeah. you never. Like I said, I don't think the goal is to even get rid of anxiety, right? Like it's it's a normal function that helps us to can't remember the lady's name, but she talked about all your emotions being messengers, right? They're neither good nor evil. They're telling you something to help you be curious about the actual either core value or core belief that's being either tampered with or has been violated or has been neglected. It's trying to get your attention. Hundred percent. That's the thing of, I think the three C's that I, I mentioned in my, my book was having compassion for yourself, which I realized when my therapist had brought it up, I struggled with that. I was like, wow, like it was almost infuriating. Like, what do you mean? Like compassion is not like, I need to fight this thing. I need to like take this thing toe to toe and beat it. Right. But as you know, like the more you resist anxiety, it's like, oh yeah, I, I love this. I eat this for breakfast. And as long as you keep resisting me, I get stronger and stronger. It's like that shadow casting, you know, that object casting a really large shadow is going to keep growing. And the more you you try to fight it, it's just going to get bigger and bigger. And so, you know, you have to do things that may feel counterintuitive in order to come into a whole new space. Absolutely. So compassion being the first C, what are the other two? Uh, Consistency. Uh Uh-huh. Um, if, if you say you come into a set of tools that you know work for you, like breath work or um, meditation or some type of mindfulness or going for walks or making sure you stay hydrated, like you can't just do that for a few days and say, oh, OK, I'm I'm good now. Like, no, this is a, a whole new way of life. This is a lifestyle change. It's not just I'm doing this so I can go back to the life that I had. Like, no, you are beginning an entire new journey. Yeah, well said. Um, yeah. Did I say the third C? No, give us the third one. <laughs> um, what was the third C? Compassion, consistency. Oh, courage. Yeah. And courage doesn't look like what I, I thought it did. You know, you, you think of like carrying a club over your shoulder and oh, I'm just so big and powerful. No, it's just simply showing up, showing up for yourself on the days where you don't feel great, the days you do feel great, the days you feel so-so you keep showing up for yourself and showing yourself that compassion with consistency. And then, you know, on the days that, that just went really bad, like you just kind of chalk it up with the rest of the days and say, well, we'll just, we'll try again tomorrow. Yeah. Cause you that's know? the compassion piece. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you absolutely have to, have, and my, my therapist would not let me proceed past that point. Cause she could see that I was resisting it. I'm like, nah, like, my everything I beat in my life comes from the brute force fight and you're softening me up with something I don't think is going to be effective. 
And so I tried to go back to the old way, but again, like it, it just created more adrenaline. You know, it, it was signaling to my subconscious mind, okay, he's fighting because he does not feel safe. So guess what? Crank up the adrenaline, crank up the cortisol, make him aware, make him hypersensitive so he can be aware of whatever it is he thinks he's trying to fight. We're going to equip him to do that. And that's not and the, the thing, <laughs> And the thing that you're trying to fight is the vulnerable feeling and emotional the stuff that is coming up for you. Is that right? So we're fighting. You're, you're saying, I'm feeling these emotions. I'm feeling this big, soft, squishy stuff. But I think it's yeah. unsafe. I've got to fight that. And right. so therefore, my anxiety is going to give me the fight or flight that I need to fight this emotional stuff. Is that what we're saying? Which creates a whole other spiral. So it's just like an indefinite loop that just gets worse. So it's like, listen, you want to play that game? Go right ahead. And once you understand that there's no end to it and it's not getting better, then you know, come back here and learn how to sit quietly compassion and allow the body on its own to dissipate and understand that this yeah. new space that you're in is safe. Yeah. And that took months. I would say a few years to really say, even now, sometimes I'm like, okay, have the awareness to recognize you're trying to bring the old gladiator back. Mm-hmm. It's not time for the gladiator. It's time for the, the compassionate care bear, you know? Yes. <laughs> so, Yes. And he's powerful too, you know, very powerful. So I love that. So the three C's are kind of having the courage to be compassionate with consistency. Yes. Yeah. So tell me something when we're talking about the strategies that people use, like mindfulness or walking or exercise or breath work. I mean, there's, there's a gazillion coping strategies out there that you can go and YouTube and find. Right. So people often latch onto these things and they say they need to do more meditation or more breath work. They need to find more vagus nerve activation strategies or central nervous system regulation things. How would you say in your experience, because it sounds like your your big um, transformation really happened with therapy and being able to sit with the feeling and I guess address the core beliefs and things that have been triggered for you. Um, how would you suggest that those strategies fit in into this picture yeah so in hindsight now i look at just the whole recovery journey and healing journey as like multifaceted Mm. right there's no one thing that's gonna oh if i just learn about the vagus nervous like nope that's that's why i consider it like a, a toolkit just like a mechanic has a bunch of tools you may not use, like if you're changing a tire, you're not going to use a screwdriver necessarily, but you still have it in your, your arsenal. Right. Yes. Um, so for me, it was just a lot of experimentation, right. I mean, in the beginning, the four, seven, eight breathing mm-hmm. did not work for me. Like now I could, I could use it, but for whatever reason, it did not feel safe six years ago. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, that particular tool is not good or bad. It's just not a fit for me. So just regular, slow, deep breathing from the belly and body scans was like my go-to. It was simple. Um, it wasn't complicated. It wasn't spooky. Um, any of that stuff. And I noticed after maybe three days, I saw like small changes where my body wasn't necessarily as like hypervigilant just from the breath exercises. I said, oh, okay, well then we're going to build on that and just keep using it in I think headspace and actually my, my primary care physician was the one who had introduced me to the concept um, from a UCLA 
research website. Like my background's engineering. So I guess maybe she thought, well, if I can tap into the science side of his brain, that he'll be a little more open to something that doesn't sound like mystical or like I said, weird or spooky. Yeah. You know? Um, and so I latched onto that. Um, of course, hydration. Um, I worked with my cardiologist to figure out like what combinations of supplements I could take that wouldn't interfere with the medicines I was taking at the time. So um, those being magnesium glycinate, huge. I think initially I was on citrate and then I'd read some other stuff about how glycinate was a little bit better absorption. And of course, um, citrate tends to have more of a laxative effect. So, you know, you kind of have to <laughs> be careful with how much and how often that you take and what your body can tolerate, right? It's really what your body tolerates and what you have um, agreed to with your primary care physician or your dietitian, right? Like there's some things that may be experimental, but you want to report back how that feels to the licensed professional. Like that's what I continue to stress because Google's not going to give you, you know, um, anything concrete. You're going to have thousands of answers. You want someone who has been trained for this to be able to, that knows your health history that can help you navigate that. Absolutely. So it was that one. Oh, another huge one was cold showers. Yeah. That one was like, if I would say what had the most immediate effect in terms of night and day tolerating anxiety versus not tolerating, absolutely cold shower. And I think after maybe the third one, um, I saw a huge difference, <laughs> excuse me, yeah. along with, uh, I picked up back in 2019, um, cycling on bicycle, started doing um, charity road races and all types of stuff. And I really just tapped into like the inner child of just like things being fun again, mm-hmm. right? Because sometimes you can focus so much on, I got to recover, I got to recover, I got to recover, that you forget to live. You know what I mean? You wake up thinking, how can I fight anxiety? It's like, no, how can I wake up and actually enjoy the day and live? So you start to find things that soothe you, that feel good to you. Um, I picked up astrophotography. I don't know anything about telescopes and stuff like that, but I bought a a really cheap one uh, from Target. And then from there, I met some folks online. We call ourselves the Astro Nerds. And they gave me some pointers about some things that I could buy if I wanted to kind of take things to the next level without spending gobs of money. And so, like, right now, as we're talking, Jupiter's out. So I may go out later on tonight and, you know, look at that for a little bit, take a couple of pictures and do some, some you know, high-level image processing on it. But I found out, like, things like bicycling and astrophotography, when I'm in the present moment with those things, I'm not thinking about anything else. Bills, work you know, my kids' academic stuff, you know, all the things that would normally kind of grab your attention. Oh, you got to do something about this. You got to fix this, or you got to be prepared for the next, you know, big thing that could come. And when I'm involved in those things, I don't feel anything other than just peace and being focused. And either if I'm riding a bike, just letting the wind hit my face, or if I'm looking in the sky, just looking at the different planets. And so it's like, well, what other things can I discover that give me that same you know, sensation, that same feeling of just tranquility, right? So you really become a student of yourself, you know, the, the new identity of this person who's just living a, a free life full of hope and, and confidence and peace and joy, right? What, what things can you encounter or discover or experiment with that would help enhance those, right? Because those are quote unquote weapons as well, yeah. other than just, hey, let me 
do this quick breath exercise and okay, did I hold it for long enough? Okay, seven, okay, eight. All right, let me ex you know, my overthinking mind will overthink the actual like tool sometimes. And now like you're stressed, like, am I doing it right? That's not the point, you know? Exactly. <laughs> you're feeding the monster again. You're feeding the monster. So yeah. you gotta solve him out and, and let him. I had to get to a point where I even stopped considering anxiety an enemy. Exactly. Oppose, and again, you're going to go back to the old mentality of trying to survive against this thing and resist it. And you know, if you do that, you're only feeding it. Absolutely. So I had to and say, okay, it's trying to tell me something. Let me get curious about what this is. Because sometimes it's just, you know what? You didn't drink any water today. And your body tried to get your attention through other stuff. And you kept going along and typing and talking on the phone and paying everything else attention except your well-being. And so, well, now I got your attention now because you got the heart palpitation. So go in there and get you 16 ounces of water, sit down for a little bit, take a couple of deep breaths. And guess what? Ah, all is well in the world. Yeah. I love to look at anxiety as being really your best ally in trying to keep you safe. That's it. Yes. It's just an alarm that is going to ring any time that there is something that is unsafe for you, whether you've had too little water, whether you're working too hard, you've exercised too much, you're not paying attention to your own personal needs because you're self-sacrificing in the service of others, or, you know, if there really is a valid threat, well, not valid, if there really is a, a real threat coming at you, it doesn't matter, right? It can be internal, external. At the end of the day, anxiety is just going, hey, pay attention, I've got your back. That's it. Yep. But, but when it gets so big and scary, then most people look at it as being the enemy and this thing that they've got to yep. get rid of. They can't live yeah. with it. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the discomfort. And that was one of the shifts I had to make. Um, and this is one of the things that I learned actually in, in the cold shower. Right. It's like a it's a controlled environment. If the water gets too cold, I can either turn it the temperature up or I can step out. Right. Mm -hmm. But the initial times that I got in there, it felt just like a panic attack. And I was like, okay, there's a time to practice learning how to be calm in the midst of things being uncomfortable. And that is where I came into the, and I, I can't call this my quote, but because I think I heard it somewhere else, but what you're experiencing is uncomfortable. It's not dangerous. Yeah. Right. And so the uncomfortable things, they come and they go. The dangerous things are where you actually need to go to the hospital because like, yeah, there's an actual problem that needs to be addressed or something worse can happen. But if you're just uncomfortable, just like an old, like a workout, right? If you're running, say, a mile and maybe you're running 30 seconds faster than your normal pace, mm -hmm. it's going to be uncomfortable. And a normal, healthy person, that's not dangerous. It's just you've reached something that your body's saying, don't like this. But I'm just letting you know, there's a sensation here. You know, you have a choice about what you can do with that sensation. Are you going to define it as dangerous when it's really not? Or is it just something that, Tonya, you may want to slow down a little bit? Or, you know what, if you just kind of stick to what you're doing right now, this feeling is going to pass. As a matter of fact, you do this enough times, you're going to build up, a, build up res resiliency for it and look at it differently to say, this is actually growth. This isn't dangerous. Yeah. So it changes your whole mindset about the confidence about, okay, I know what this is. I'm not going to try to define it. I'm going to sit with it. If it passes, then I know it's not dangerous. If it gets worse and now it's kind of over the top, eh, then maybe I can make an adjustment, but it still doesn't necessarily mean that it's dangerous yet. Yeah. Especially for me, when I had 
gobs of evidence to test that showed there is absolutely nothing wrong with you physically or your physiology. Yeah. So you know what this is. Which is so important. People have got to go for all of those tests right in the beginning. I have so many people who are anxious and then they say they don't want to be a burden and go and ask their doctor again because of this concern. They don't want to look silly. And I'm just like, yeah, go and be silly. Go and get all the tests done. But once you've got those tests, then we have to believe the tests, right? There's got to be a point at which we trust that those tests are telling us the truth. Did you ever have an experience of of kind of all of that heart stuff going on and then being told there's nothing wrong with you. It's just anxiety. Did you believe them or were you still concerned? Well, I was still concerned because I'm like, my heart's not supposed to be skipping like this. Yeah. Right. My chest isn't supposed to be getting tight like this. I mean, now I know those are just kind of, you know, more intense, you know, stress responses. Yeah. Um, But back then it was like, again, I'm equating to the fact that I've known, I thought I knew anxiety all my life. Yeah. You're telling me that's what it is. And I'm telling you, I haven't experienced anything like that before. It has to be something wrong. You haven't found it yet. Yeah. Um, so how did you shift think, from that, Darius? When I realized that I was stuck in a cycle and I just got tired of it, it's like, okay, I can continue searching for something to be wrong. Yeah. Um, Matter of fact, here's here's one example. My cardiologist told me, he said, listen, stop writing down your heart rate and, and blood pressure. He's like, you are actually making this thing worse. I've been doing this for decades now. Um, we did the, not what you call it, it's a monitor. You literally stick it to your chest for about a week and a half. And they take all types of readings and recordings. He's like, all the anomaly stuff would show up here on this right column. He said, you have nothing there, not even remotely. Like I can see the, the skips and, and the fast beats, but those aren't anything dangerous. Those would show up over here. You don't have that. So, you know, he's like, at this point, you say, just take your family out to the park and just try to, you know, relax, which I understood what he was saying. But now that's kind of one of my pet peeves. Like if somebody has anxiety, don't tell them to just relax. Because oh if gosh. it was that easy, you know, it, it's it's really kind of insensitive to to say stuff like that. I get what he was saying. Um, yeah. But now it's like, I, I, I even make a couple of, memes and videos about that on like Instagram and, and TikTok just to make people laugh, but also say, listen, like, if you know, somebody who's dealing with this, don't, don't say that. Have I'm empathy speaking. and say, you know, how can I be supportive? Like that's a good starting place. Um, but yeah, I think I just got tired of imagining the worst case scenario and it never happened. And I was like, okay, now I'm open to other things that maybe I never considered before because I realized my way is not working. So there's a breaking point you have within what you think you're doing to help yourself and realizing that it's not helping. So now be open to other things you've never tried before, like therapy and like the different, I started learning about um, the vagus nerve through uh, Jessica McGuire out of Australia. Um, She has all types of uh, workshops and, um, seminars and things like that. And I started to watch all her free stuff, but then I was like, you know, I'm really going to commit to this and see what this all has in store and what else can I learn? You know, because the more that I'm able to understand, the more I'm able to cooperate, right? If this certain behavior or even breathing type is telling my subconscious mind that, hey, he's getting ready to fight something and turning on adrenaline, then I know if there's nothing really happening, I can be mindful and say, ah, I'm doing that thing again, no condemnation, but it's like, I have a choice now to where I can not do that thing anymore. I can slow down my breathing or I can get up and like, just go for this, like a little 
maybe a quarter of a mile walk that I'll go on just to say, you know what, break up the monotony of the day. Um, give your give your mind and your body a chance to reset and then come back and continue what you were doing. Yeah. Now yeah. you're on level 20, where before you were at maybe level 80. Yeah. So yeah. what I'm hearing is that there is a conscious decision to choose to believe something else, you know, from that fear of your your health condition and fearing that there's something that they've missed to then going, okay. I have got to choose to not believe this anymore. And I've got to choose to believe this is anxiety. And now I'm going to go ahead and investigate what can I do to help the anxiety? Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Very well put. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have so many clients who struggle with health anxiety and it is that, that space of like not being able to let go of the anxious fear, but it's the anxiety that's driving the fear, right? It's not, it's not coming from any rational perspective because all the yeah. tests are showing that there's nothing physically going on. And yet yeah. there is still this belief that there's something. So we've got to choose to say, okay, I've got to trust the doctor. And then I'm going to now trust what's the next thing that I can do for anxiety and then lean into that. Right. And it's super scary. As you said, you go to therapy that and is- they say, sit with your feelings and you're like, hell no, and that's not <laughs> what I want to do. <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me, okay, I've gotten to the point where I'm vulnerable enough to share the things that, you know, maybe contribute to this thing. I'm ready to just, okay, we got it. Let's throw it as far as we can see. And you're saying, no, we, we want to befriend them and sit with them. And I'm like, counterintuitive. I don't like it. And I don't think this is going to work. However, everything else I've done at this point has not worked. So I'm willing to take this uncharted journey. Yeah. Love that. Willing to take this uncharted journey. Love that. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about where you are now in comparison to where you were then. So that was six years ago. You're now six years on. What's changed for you? Where are you at? Oh, man. So now having like so much wisdom experience and as well as failures and successes and try to pull just you know, lessons from, from all of that stuff. Um, I still have my ups and downs, but now I have a different mindset about like, so this past June ended up back in the hospital again. We were going, uh, it was Father's Day. I was going to go visit my dad and about halfway down, my heart was like, yeah, you're, you're not going to make that trip, buddy. At first I was like, yeah, let's do the breathing and see what happens. But then it spiraled and went over the top and I was like, okay, This time around, though, there was no panic, like, oh, my God, what is this? Like, no, you know what this is. You know, there were things leading up to this to where your body just got overwhelmed and you need just some time to not be overwhelmed. So my wife drove us back home. Actually, I went to the hospital first and said, you know, hey, this is what I'm experiencing. They did the EKG. Everything came back fine. Ran some additional blood tests um, with my one of my other doctors, I can't remember which one it was, but just to confirm that this is nothing new. This is just, you know, stress. Um, instead of it taking me three years to, you know, recover, it took, you know, just a few weeks to really just let my body recharge itself. And that was yeah. one of the things I sat down with my therapist and she said, um, let's look at the last maybe 10 events that led up to this. And then once I had it all in front of me, I was like, wow, why didn't this happen sooner? You know, right. like my body was holding on for a long time. I'm like, yeah, I wasn't that kind to myself, you know? Yeah. So this was inevitable. 
you know, based on the trajectory that I was on. But again, back to the, you know, the consistency, the courage, the, the uh, compassion. Um, it's like, well, you know what this is now. So I kind of had to like read my own book and say, all right, <laughs> kind of take my own medicine now. Um, and really be a firm believer of everything that I had learned in the past and said, okay, well, you know what you need to do? Walk the journey. And there was some other core things I had to talk with my therapist about. And sometimes what people don't understand is you may have dealt with it on one layer, but sometimes it's like an onion, mm. right? Now there's a, a whole new deeper uh, layer that you're, ironically, your being is telling you you're ready to deal with this now as uncomfortable as it is, it now said, listen, we're, we're bringing us to the forefront because you're ready, excuse me, and you have what it takes to to deal with this now. So yeah. that, what was funny was the big irony, I had a fear. There was always this kind of underlying fear that I was going to go back to where I was six years ago, right? And that at this time I wouldn't recover. But now that I kind of did experience something similar. It's like, well, it came back and look at you. So guess what? That fear now is unfounded. Beautiful. So even if you do experience like a kind of a hard thing, you're going to come back from it. Why? Number one, you're equipped. You know what you're dealing with and you have an action plan that you need to execute. Mm -hmm. And then you have resources that if this is something truly overwhelming, you have someone to talk to. And walk you back through the process, so you don't have to do it by yourself. They also have groups like like yours, the yeah. you know the Ease group that um, you know, just because I've been through an experience and have had successes and written a book about it and been on podcasts, like I still consider myself a learner that needs to connect with other people, right? Um, you never stop learning, like you you store what you know, but wake up every day like you don't know anything. So if somebody brings you new information, you store it, even if you may not use it right away, there may come a time where, uh, you know what, you know, John said he went through that and he used this and let me try that. Oh, guess what? It actually worked. And I saved a lot of time rather trying to reinvent the wheel and find my whole way back home again. It's like, you weren't that far off track. You know, this is just a little blip in the road. And now, again, you are equipped. You have the confidence. Just have the compassion. And maybe you were just doing things a little too hard and need to slow down a little bit. Absolutely. But it's not the end of the world. And it's going to get better. Yeah. And that's my message to other people that I encounter. And that's the message I tried to convey uh, with within my book. Um, yeah. That was the whole reason for writing. It was birthed out of empathy. You yeah. know, yeah. someone else is like, what would you say to them? to give them a sense of hope and some type of plan to move forward. Well, I love it. There it is. <laughs> so we're going to talk about your book for sure in one minute, but I just wanted to like touch on what you've just spoken about, you know, that feeling of you were doing really well and then all of a sudden it, it came back. Right. And there was this big sense of a setback, setback and in inverted commas again. And so many people have the sense that if, they've come through their anxiety and then it comes up again that they're going backwards or that they're relapsing or setbacks. But they yeah. forget that once upon a time before all of this, they had good days and bad days and they never looked yeah. at their bad days as being setbacks and, oh my gosh, I'm going backwards and I'm relapsing. They just, it was just a bad day. But somehow right. once you've been through a big experience like this, you then have this 
almost this expectation that you will never have another bad day. And if you do have a bad day, then that's a sign that you're going backwards. It's a setback and you're never going to come back from it again, which is yeah. interesting, right? And that we have this concept. Yeah. And then the second thing that happens, and you spoke to this right in the beginning of our conversation and again now, is, is we also have this belief that we're going to go back to being the person that we were before this all started, right? Right. And, and that's contradictory because on the one hand, everyone is wishing that they could go back to being that person. And on the other hand, the minute we have a setback, we're like, oh my gosh, I'm going back to that, <laughs> which is interesting. But the truth is you can never go back to that person ever at all once you've been through right. this journey because now you know so many different things. You believe so many different things now about yourself, your life, your situation, about anxiety in itself. The fact that you see anxiety as a friend means that you could never, ever go back to that again. It could never be that experience right. ever again. It's not possible. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So in, in, in a way, I'm kind of glad it, it, it did happen because like now if I experience anything, it's like you come back from this twice. Yes. You know, um, and the second time, like you weren't kind of wandering in the wilderness trying to like find your way. You had all the tools and everything necessary to come back to just, uh, again, a, a new normal. Yeah. Right. Each yeah. time you, you kind of learn something, you have to kind of shed something that maybe you were still holding on to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that that's the vice of it is is letting go and coming into the new. But if you're willing to do it, you know, like the things that await for you are again just a new strength, a new hope, new joy and peace that you didn't have before or was robbed because, mm -hmm. you know, anxiety kept rearing his head and not just warning you about something that was real, but just consuming your entire life. And that's the part I just, I, even now, I just, that feeling of I'm never getting out of this. I've never had that before. Like I've been through hard stuff before. I've job losses. You know, my wife and I lost the baby. I mean, just dark stuff, you know, where you're like, man, this is devastating. But at some point, eh, it'll get better. But this six years ago was like, nah, you're probably going to die like this, you know? And I've never... I never felt like I couldn't come back and beat something. It's like, okay, you got me now, but guess what? I'm gonna figure this thing out. I'm gonna get you. This was, yeah, this is it. I'm I'm toast. It's a wrap. You know, um, I don't think I'll ever I remember just feeling like my the old me was a shadow, um, just kind of teasing me, like, you will never have this again. You will never have happiness again. You will never know a day without anxiety again. You know, and that's a dark place to be. It's very dark. But I will say, though, the one session I had in therapy, my therapist told me, right, all the challenging things on the left side of the whiteboard and all the positive things on, on the right side. I had a full list on the left side, like all the symptoms I was experiencing and just the feelings I was having and just really time to just pour it out and let it all out. On the positive side, the only thing that I wrote there was hope. And it hit me in that moment. This is who I really am this is who I really am. Like, this is at the core who I really am as a person. Like, I am hope. And it took all these things being stripped away for me to understand that. Like, all the accolades, all the ability to get awards, achievements, and bonuses, and raises, and stuff, all the things I thought defined me, which really didn't. It was just more of a byproduct of hard work, right? And really just trying to escape something that I was just <laughs> running from in my past or a feeling I didn't want to experience, and the byproduct of that and, and the world sense is, quote unquote, success. 
until you realize it's not sustainable and it costs you something, whether it be your time, your family, your your body, your mind, um, or a combination of, of all those. Um, but now that I know a major part of what my identity is, I can feed that thing now and share that with others. And just the gratification you get from that. I was at a conference two weekends ago, uh, just sharing my story there. And so many people came up and were like, wow, you know, either I've experienced it or I've had loved ones that experienced it. And just being able to really connect with people. Um, like I said, in hindsight, it's like, I'm kind of glad it wasn't fun. I don't, I didn't like all the things I had to feel and for the length of time I had to feel them. But if the result is I can impact other people's lives and connect with others in ways that I couldn't before, then it was worth it. Yeah. And you've really done that, eh? But by writing a book. So tell us about your book. I love I love the name, Leaving Jupiter. So tell us first about that name. Yeah. So the concept of that was I came up with back in 2019. And it's an analogy of if you were on the planet Jupiter, Jupiter has almost two and a half times the strength of gravity as Earth, right? So if you weigh, what, 100 pounds here, you're going to weigh almost 250 on Jupiter, right? There's really no known, like, landmass that you can walk on. The air isn't something you can breathe, and the winds and storms there are, like, crazy, right? Now, imagine trying to leave there, like, on your own. Like, you feel pretty much stuck, and it would feel almost impossible, and so that's where the title comes from. You're leaving what feels impossible, but you can navigate your way through this. And so I divide the book into three major sections, right? Awareness. What are you dealing with, right? How do I find out what I'm dealing with? Well, go and get assessed, right, professionally um, by your doctor. Get all the blood work done. And because there was one person I know that had anxiety and actually had an issue with their thyroid, mm. right? Now, Say they went on Google and just tried to use whatever symptoms and oh, I'm just going to take this herb to make me feel better. You're not really treating the issue, a physiological issue that really needs to be addressed by allopathically by a doctor. Yeah. Right. And again, I'm not like a huge fan of like medicine and medication, but I've, when I need it, I take it. Right. Yeah. You need it. Like if you broke your ankle and you needed crutches for a little while, you're not mad at the crutches. Like you need this right now until you're able to get the strength to do this on your own. Mm-hmm. Right. The second section, uh, equipping, basically kind of give a little bit of information about the nervous system. Sympathetic, parasympathetic, vagus nerve, nothing too technical. It's not my background. So I try to write it in such a way that there's a simplicity that allows you to say, I got it. I understand it enough to where... I'm dangerous enough to where I can I can use this, mm-hmm. but I understand what system I may be affecting by a certain behavior, right? Oh, everything else you should learn from your your therapist, but I'm providing you a framework and foundation to say, here's the understandings you can go equipped with. So now you know how you need to articulate what you need from your therapist or from your doctor. Beautiful. Right? And then the last one is execution. Um, we deal with certain mindsets, like again about courage and. Uh, one of my definitions of being vulnerable is being open and trusting environments. And therapy is one of those because uh, with the exception of you harming yourself or somebody else, they cannot, your therapist cannot share what you told them outside of your session. Yeah. Right. So there is a little bit of kind of work with trying to find the right one and maybe you do a consultation before you commit to that particular therapist. But 
you know, once you've got a, a good one and I've had really good ones and I have a good one now, um, you do the work, right? Um, but you also want to capture that in a journal and provide feedback. Everything's a feedback loop. Like your diagnosis and your um, your ability to have like a, a path forward is as good as your ability to explain what it is you're experiencing in your mind, in your body, and everything else, right? Um, and so then you're able to come up with some type of I provide like a bunch of different things that I consider like to be a toolkit. Right. Some of these things may work for you. These are things I'm saying work for me. Work with your therapist. They may have some other things that can really be helpful to help you relax or to just kind of be in a moment while you're uncomfortable. Right. But you need a way to kind of track all those things. And the action plan is basically just shows like Sunday to Saturday, the days that you're going to commit to doing them. And then just basically having a way to mark it off and say, yeah, I did it. So you look over time to say, oh, here's a consistency piece. Right. That I talked about. And now you have a way to track how well you've been doing that. And so you do it until some of those tools are going to evolve over time. Some of them you're going to not use as much and you're going to encounter like new ones. Um, And before you know it, you're going to come into a whole new different era uh, of life or at least know that, okay, these things didn't work. Let me communicate that with my therapist or communicate that with my doctor um, and let them know these things weren't effective or no, these things worked really well. Um, that was one of the ways I came off my high blood pressure medicine was I report I had kept a journal of all my numbers and stats and I would show it to my cardiologist every visit. He said, okay, we're going to cut your medicine in half. Mm-hmm. And then got to the point where he just said, you don't need this anymore because you've done the work. It's like, I, this is rare. It's like, normally when I prescribe this stuff, people don't come off, but you did the work. We did the stress tests and he's like, you show me everything I need to see. And so you're, you can, you're medicine free now. You know, but that wasn't me deciding that on my own. And the same thing with my primary care physician. I was taking um, Boost Bar. Same thing. She made the decision. She said, based on everything you've told me over the last couple of visits, I don't see any reason to keep prescribing this to you. You have made progress in everything I've asked you to do. You've done it. And so, you know, if you need it, let me know. But based on what I'm seeing, my professional license assessment of what, where you are and what you're doing, you don't need this anymore. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow. Like that was kind of my goal, but I was like not trying to decide that solely by myself because you have people that you are paying to do that for you. And this is what they've been trained to do. Yeah. So, um, and that's interesting. Like our, our bodies are going to respond to the things that are not right. And so the things that we experience that we perceive to be the problem are really just the symptoms of an underlying problem, whether it be a behavior that we're doing or, or a lifestyle choice that's not working for us. But we go to our, our doctors and then they treat the symptom with whatever medication we need. But most people think they're now treating the problem. And so they just have to take the medication and the problem will go away without doing any other work. And that's where the problem comes in, right? And that's when we're staying on medications for the rest of our lives. But yeah, you're, you're incredible, right? You just you you took it, you took that medication and the treatments intentionally to help with the symptom while you solved the problem. Yeah, like yeah. Make, make me functional, but guess what? I'm going to do the work. And that's what yes. I told him. I said, listen, I understand I need this right now, but tell me what it is I need to do, not to just come off the medicine, but to live a more, you know, peaceful life. You know, what's going to enhance my life? Again, not so much focusing on the recovery, but what's going to allow me to just live again? That's what I want. I want to live. And yeah. they said, well, okay, that's what you want. I want this, this, and this. Like, have my, again, have my journal, 
wrote down everything they said. You got it. Every time I came back, here's where I am now. And be honest, you know, sometimes, it, well, things are the same. So let's continue the course. Yep, you got it. Up. Oh, it's a lot better. Okay, we're going to come up. Oh, you don't need any more. Okay, boom, I'll see you in a year. You know, <laughs> so I remember that feeling. I got my car. I was like, oh, my God, like, I did it. I really did it. Like, I am. And not to say that if you have to stay on medicine, um, that it makes you a bad person or, or a failure. But I know I didn't need it. Yeah. You know, past a certain period of where I needed the help. And together with my licensed professionals, we were seeing progress that says you need less of this and you keep continuing to do the right things. And I don't have to keep prescribing stuff. Same. And so that the biggest thing for me was some of the side effects that I experienced. And I mm-hmm. did not like those. Mm-hmm. And for me, like medicines tend to be hit or miss. They work really well or yeah, they do what they were designed to do, but you also have to deal with these other things. And I'm like, these other things aren't comfortable. Um, and if I can do something about it by changing my lifestyle, then I'm willing to to do that. So tell me what it is, and I'm going in with reckless abandon. So anyway. And then I, I love that you wrote this book. So now that's the roadmap of, of the journey that people can take, right, to start taking the similar steps that you did to be able to get to a space where they can live life peacefully like you can. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Where can they get the book? Where can we get the book? So the book is on Amazon and I also sell it on my website beyond anxiety.com. If you want an autographed copy, then I can, I can do that. But if you have Amazon prime and you, you know, you're more comfortable doing that, then you can do that um, as well. I also have, um, I created a journal that goes along with it so that you can like track and it's, it's an eight week journal that allows you to just kind of write down your thoughts do vision boards or like a sketch vision board, um, write in your different tools and then the days of the week that you, that you've done it. So you can track all that stuff. And then just, just kind of lines of paper. If you just want to write down your other thoughts or just ideas or whatever it is you're feeling. And ideally you take that and talk with your, your therapist, or if there's physical things you're writing down, you take that and talk with your physician. Beautiful. And I say that because I don't have a photographic memory. Mm. And there were times I tried to go on without the notebook or my, my journal, and it'd always be two or three things that I would forget to bring up. And I'm, I'm at home, and I'm like, oh, I meant to tell them that I was ex- also experiencing such and such. That may have changed the medication or the method or whatever else they were going to have you to, to do. So yeah. just, just write it down. Write down, mm-hmm. take it with you. Um, and then, you know, you have a way to track your progress over time. There were several times with my therapist where she had me go back to – Oh, like several months. And she said, look where you were then. Look what you were feeling then. And look mm-hmm. where you are now. You had a setback. You are much further than where you were before. But I wouldn't have known that had I not had some way to see where I was, you know, a month or, or months ago or a year ago. Yeah. So you are making progress. And sometimes the symptoms make you feel like you're not or a setback makes you feel like you're starting all the way back at zero. It's like, no. Maybe you were at 90 and you had to go back to 75, but you're not at zero and you're not that same person that was at zero, but the mind has a way of making you convinced that you are. So get the journal, get the journal, get this and write, write, write. I will link all of that in the show notes. So everyone can, can just click the links and find your book really easily. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else like one final thought that you would like to leave our listeners with? Yeah. I always say, you don't have to wait until you have a crisis to go and seek help, right? I know probably better than most people. 
how to hide the yucky things that I'm feeling on the inside behind success or busyness or even sleep, mm-hmm. right? I used to sleep a lot um, years ago. I think like right after I finished uh, grad school, I would just sleep a lot, right? Because now I don't have any busyness to fill my, my life with. And well, you can't really feel things when you're asleep, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> it was like another way to escape, but if you feel like you're running, if you feel like you're avoiding, if you feel like there are things that you know have been troubling you for years, I definitely encourage you to not wait until the crisis comes. Go when it's sunny. Um, again, the folks that you go and talk to, whether it's your doctor or your therapist, you know, you're protected under the local, state, and federal laws. Other than, again, harming yourself or harming others, um, everything you say is confidential. So um, you you'll find that you feel so much better once you've at least heard you yourself speak the things that you haven't said for years and the weight that's lifted. And sometimes that may even be trapped in your body somewhere, you know, muscle tightness. That was one of the other, other weird symptoms I had, like this weird muscle tension. I'm like, I haven't worked out in probably two years. Like why my shoulders and my back and my hips, why is everything so tight? Mm. That's that trauma that's just locked in there. And I heard one guy say that your your body is the expression of your subconscious mind. So if you're having weird symptoms and things that don't seem like explainable, there might be a good chance that it is a subconscious issue and something that you need to work through and unpack with a licensed professional like a therapist. So get the help while you can, while it's still sunny before the crisis comes. And your little moments of the awkwardness of saying and feeling things that you never thought you wanted to feel again will pale in comparison to the freedom that you'll get on the other side and walking in just again that love and joy and peace and just the confidence to just live life, not trying to fight or fix something, but living out a place of creativity. Like that's when you're really, in my opinion, I feel like that's kind of why we're all here. We're to create something to benefit ourselves and others, you know, while this window of time we call now exists. So make the most of it. And do it for yourself because you're worth it. So that's what yeah. I would say. And the courage for compassion consistently. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much for being here today. It's really awesome to thank have you. you. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. So that wraps up today's episode. And I have a huge favor to ask. If you found any value in what you heard today, please be sure to leave a review. I assure you it is not to stroke my ego, although it does help me to know that you love the show, but to help the algorithms get this episode into the hands of others who might need it. Make sure you follow the Ease Anxiety podcast so that you never miss a future episode. And lastly, I really love to connect. So find me on TikTok or Instagram and be sure to say hi. All the links are found below in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in.